Um, so, yeah, today we're going to be looking at God's Word. Um, but before that, we're going to pray to God. Uh, prayer is just talking to God, and we do that because we believe uh, that God is the one who speaks to us when we read His Word. So, Alex is going to lead us as we talk to God. That's all. Uh, hello, I'm Alex, as Sam said. Uh, I'm a second year engineering student, um, and we're just going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, it's an amazing privilege that we get to uh, talk to our God. Uh, uh, so please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die so that we might have a restored relationship with you. We ask that all people will love, uh, will know of your love and love you in return. Lord, we thank you that we can meet together to remember Jesus and his death and resurrection. Help Richard to speak clearly and faithfully so that as we listen, uh, you teach us just how significant Jesus' actions are. Please help us to understand the relevance of Jesus and, and what he did for us. We also think of places in great turmoil in the world, countries like Syria, Iraq, and Turkey. We pray that you will bring peace to these countries, in particular, that you, your message of hope will bring peace and unity. We ask that you keep those who follow you safe and firm in their trust with you amongst opposition and threats of violence and death. We thank you for the hope that we can have in you. We pray that we would live firm in our knowledge of you. We ask that you work in our lives to help us follow you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to um, read from the Bible, and we've printed the Bible passage today in the handout we've got uh, when you came so please open it to that. Man 
has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. your biggest problem? Is it that assignment that hasn't been handed in yet? <laughs> That's a lot of laughter. <laughs> is it that exam that you haven't prepared for? What is the biggest problem that you have? Maybe it's loneliness. You don't have any real friends anywhere on campus, let alone a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Maybe it's tensions in your family that are real and painful. Maybe it's struggles with anxiety or depression. Or maybe it's sickness. You, know, you get headaches regularly, the colds, flu. I have a friend who sat where you were some years ago in his early 20s after graduating he had a brain hemorrhage. Very sadly, he now goes around in a motorised wheelchair. He comes to the church that I go to regularly, there week by week. But because of his brain hemorrhage, he can't speak, he can't move his hands very well, his head is tilted. When he eats, there's saliva just coming down his mouth. He was a history teacher. He was engaged to be married. But that sadly broke up because of his situation understandably, but very painfully. What do you think is his greatest problem? We meet a man much like my friend Morgan today in this passage before us. I wonder what you think his biggest problem was. He's a paralysed man. There's no wheelchairs in those days. Certainly no motorised things in those days. And you always needed someone to do something for you and help you even go to the toilet, let alone help you eat, <coughs> go to bed and provide a bed for you. And if you're one of his friends, if you were a friend to Morgan, if you were a friend to the Morgan of the day, wouldn't you seek to help such a man? If you were his brother, his father, his sister, his uncle, his friend, you're just a good friend, just imagine if you knew that someone could really help you. Help this man with paralysis, the specialist, the person who's come through with a technological breakthrough with regard to nerve regeneration, whatever it is, if you could find this person, wouldn't you like this person to meet your friend and heal you? Well, that's exactly what happened with this particular fellow that we just read about. A group of friends who love him so dearly that they want him to meet the one who can do just that. Heal him of his paralysis. And the name of that man is Jesus. Jesus had healed many people before. 
blind people, deaf people, people with sicknesses, skin diseases, people with evil spirits. There was no one he could not heal. And news about him spread everywhere throughout that time. And there is no doubt in the world that this paralyzed man and his friend knew about this. It's small wonder here that we learn of people coming from everywhere, everywhere, to hear about this Jesus, to learn from this Jesus. In your outlines, please have a look there. We've printed it for you, and if you're not used to these things, basically the small numbers are what we call verse numbers of a particular biography written by a man named Luke, who happened to be a doctor slash historian. Luke's written a biography in what we call the New Testament. And we've actually uh, managed to get copies of Luke's biography in this thing called Uncover, which I'm going to refer to you later on. But here is just a little section of this biography from chapter 5, this story. There in verse 17, the first sentence that we read, and one of those days... As he was preaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. They had come from everywhere. It was quite a crowd. Now we know from the biography of Mark, not Luke, but Mark, another biography in the New Testament, that this all took place in the family home of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Crowds everywhere gathered inside a house. Every sofa is taken over, if they had sofas in those days. Straw sofas, whatever the sofas are. <laughs> Every square centimetre of space is taken over. It's a bit you know, like this. I don't know whether they had chips or those things. <laughs> maybe they had nan. I don't know what they had, but you know, nice bread without yeast. Uh, maybe they had all sorts of other things, but it was just crowded, 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 crowded. And they're there listening to Jesus speak. Can you imagine the guy who had healed all these people? This guy who could exorcise demons? This guy who commanded all this attention everywhere? They come to hear Jesus, to see Jesus in action. And you would have thought, I'm guessing now, it doesn't tell us, but I'm guessing now, that he would speak with such authority that people would just walk in the door. It's unbelievable, right? They would actually come in and actually see what's going on and try to get in, except they couldn't get in the door. It was so crowded. Commanding, you would think that he would be speaking and everybody would be so still and quiet. Not unlike this, you are so cool. Not unlike this, and you could hear a pin drop. Except they didn't hear a pin drop. They heard a thud, thud, thud. Then there was stuff falling down. They look up and then stuff gets caught in their eyes. So they're shaking their eyes out. And they look up and then they see a bit of sun and then suddenly there's shadow and then there's sun and then there's this person coming down. Now, what would you be thinking if you were in a crowd? What would you be thinking? Well, if you were Asian like me, you'd be thinking, how much is that move going to cost? I'm so racist. <laughs> <laughs> but what would you be thinking? Well, here is a man with desperate problems. And desperate problems call for desperate measures. What did happen? Look at verse 17. Sorry, let's go to verse 18. Small number 18 there. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. 
But finding no way to bring it in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. You see, desperate problems call for desperate measures. Imagine if you were the paralyzed man being lowered. How would you feel when you're coming down this whole crowd looking at you? Would you feel a little self-conscious perhaps? Here's your opportunity to land safely before everyone else. Is that what you're thinking, perhaps? Am I going to land here or get even more paralyzed? What's going to happen? Here's your opportunity to meet the one who has healed all these people before. That's what you'd be thinking, presumably, wouldn't you? And there you are, face to face with Jesus. You know why you're there. Everybody else in the crowd knows why you're there. Jesus knows why you're there. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Look at verse 20, this more number 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, including the faith of his friends, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. I mean, how would you feel? I mean, it's a cruel joke. He didn't get there to get forgiven. He came to be healed. Now, Jesus, do you do legs? Do you do backs? Do you do arms, Jesus? What are you talking about, Jesus? But here is the scandal of Jesus. Here's the scandal. Jesus thinks that this paralyzed man had a bigger problem than his paralysis. He thought this paralyzed man had a bigger problem than his paralysis because he thinks that sins are a bigger problem than his paralysis. Sins? How could sins be a bigger problem? How, how does a paralyzed man sin? Does he bite your ankles? What does a paralyzed man do to sin? Well, sin is probably best understood by the way it's spelled. Small s, a huge I in the middle, and a small m. It's got to do with I, me. Me wanting to run my life, my way, without God ruling it. It's not wanting God to be God of my life. It's me serving either myself as God or someone else as God or something else as God, but not the true God of heaven and earth. And for me to live ignoring God as God is in the end rebellion against God. And if you rebel against God, then only God who is offended can forgive you. That makes sense. But you might be thinking, I'm not in rebellion against God. Sure, I don't treat God as God. I don't think he's the true God of heaven and earth. I treat something or someone else, perhaps like that, even though I wouldn't necessarily call them God, but I'm a good person. You know, I, look, I'm here at a Christian gathering here before Easter. I, I, I actually have done my assignment. I didn't laugh at it again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even have an overdue library book. I'm that good. You know, I think I'm a moral person. I help people around, etc. I'm, I'm not a sinner. But you see, everything depends on who you serve as God. Because that's what counts in the end, your relationship with the living God. What makes you a sinner is not treating God as God, but it's not so much what you do with that, although that is an expression of that, really. See, I know a really good doctor. 
harbour good doctor. Peace. In Perth, was in Perth, as far as I know, he was kind, he was compassionate, he was very competent. And he left the general practice in Perth to join an army, joined the army. But the army that he joined was not the Australian army. The army that he joined was the army of ISIS. As far as I know, he's still kind, compassionate, and competent. But what matters is what flag he flies under, what government he serves, what leader he serves. You see, the same with us, isn't it? We can be good people helping the old lady across the road, giving money to charity, being an ever fine, upright citizen society, yet serve someone who is not God and therefore, in the end, rebel against the true God of heaven and earth. The gravity of our sin lies not so much in the nature of the sins committed, but in the one who you live for, whether it's God or something or someone else. If you live for something or someone else, that's what makes sin so sinful. To live for someone or something else is in the end to rebel against the true God of heaven and earth. And therefore, like the paralyzed man, we're all sinners, aren't we? If sin is not forgiven, we will be punished. And all the anger of God that is just, that is righteous, that is true, should be poured out of you and me. That's why sin is our biggest problem. That's why sin was the biggest problem of this paralyzed man. That's why sin is the biggest problem of anybody, whether they are whole or whether they're paralyzed. But look at what some of the people were thinking. Look at that small number... 21. Verse 21. He said, The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Aren't they right? As I mentioned before, only God can forgive sins. If he is the one who is offended, then he is the one who must forgive the offense. Only God can forgive sins. And if Jesus is forgiving this man of his sin, then who is Jesus claiming to be without saying it? He is claiming to be God, is he not? And if he wasn't God, why he would be speaking wrongly about God, and that's called blasphemy. So they're absolutely right in their thought processes. But look what Jesus does. It's scary, really. Verse 22, he says, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? No, he perceived their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. Can you imagine if the God of the universe knew everything that you were thinking? Not just doing, but thinking. That's scary, isn't it? Every single vile thought, every single thought that is of greed or malice or selfishness, every single thought that is impure, he knows all those thoughts. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And having perceived their thoughts, look what he goes on to say. Which is easier to say, verse 23, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk. It's such a good question. 
then I'm going to get you to try and answer our little tables around about you. This is Jesus' question, not mine. It's Jesus' question, so it's worth taking seriously. So have a chat. And if the group is too big, just talk to the one person next to you and interview yourself if you don't know. So maybe it's one way of doing it. So go for a minute, which is easier to say. Your seeds are given. Or get up and take them out. You've got one minute.
unless it's actually happened to us, we can easily say that to someone because right. we're not talking about something that's happened to us. Okay, so if it's a human saying it's because it's of that kind of gravity, that's very helpful. Yeah. So there's a number of ways to say we've got differences of views in terms of the spectrum, etc. Okay, we're all going to be very brave now. Hands up if you think it's easy to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Hands up if you think that's easy. Okay, to say. Okay. Okay. Hands up if you think it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Hands up saying that. Uh, uh, hands up if you're just not brave at all to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not easy to work out exactly, is it, in all of that? But here's a way of possibly understanding it. See, what's the relationship between sin and sickness? What's the relationship? Well, sin is to sickness what forgiveness of sin is to healing. That makes sense. <laughs> sin is to sickness what forgiveness of sin is to healing. But sin is a greater problem, we've established that, than sickness. Therefore, forgiveness of sin is a greater miracle than healing. It's a greater miracle than healing. But to prove, to prove here that Jesus had fixed the greater problem, Sin, he fixed the smaller problem, being paralysed. I'm not really answering the question of what is easier to say, but I hope you see what's actually taking place in this context. See, firstly note, even though healing is the smaller, or rather paralysis is the smaller problem, it does display something, doesn't it? To actually heal that paralysis. But do note the nature of this healing. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Firstly, it's total healing. Total healing. All the muscles, all the nerves that were died were completely restored. Completely restored. After probably years of not being able to walk, you can now walk. And if you speak to anyone who's been bed-bound for various reasons, just for weeks even, people with troubled pregnancies and they have to lie down for a period of time, they kind of have to learn to walk again. This guy has been paralysed for years and he immediately walks. Right? It's a total healing. Indeed, it's an immediate healing. He can walk instantly. He doesn't need months and months and months of physiotherapy. So it's a pretty cool miracle. Yeah? It's a big, big miracle. It's incredible. Now, I've no doubt in the world that if God chose to do that today, he could do it. And if you've met someone who claims they can do it, well, they could if God allows him or enables him or her to be able to do that. But if you do find that someone, please make sure you ask them to go to hospital and do the miracles there immediately. It'll save a lot of money. <laughs> but as incredible as this miracle is, as amazing as this miracle is, please note, it's still nothing compared to the miracle of having your sins forgiven. It's nothing. See, when Jesus forgives us, it doesn't mean uh, he'll forget about it, just not worry about it, act as if it doesn't matter at all. No, no, what matters is that Jesus takes everything into account. Our behaviour, all our thoughts, all our thoughts, yeah. He takes into account all our actions. He takes into account our deeds that we know deserve his right anger. 
and then he takes the punishment that we deserve instead of us. <coughs> now that's incredible. He forgives you of your sins if you ask him. Whatever you've done, I have no idea what you've done. But you know, it can be pretty bad. I just live life long enough to know that no matter how good you might look on the inside, there's always something in the past somewhere that you just don't want anybody to know about. But God knows. And He can forgive you of all that. All that. But forgiveness isn't tucking under the carpet, as I said before, is it? Now, I know of a woman whose husband committed adultery against her. That's pretty painful. And she forgave him. After a while, he found her at their bedside crying, weeping. And he asked her, why are you crying? I thought everything was good. You forgave me. And that's what she said in the end. I'm crying because I did forgive you. Because forgiveness means absorbing the hurt, absorbing the pain. If you haven't felt pain when you've forgiven someone, can I gently suggest to you that you haven't really forgiven that person? You know, forgive, forgive that person. That down the track you say, but remember when you did... Well, you haven't really forgiven that person, have you? Because it means absorbing all that pain, never to repeat it again. It hurts. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He took your punishment, he took my punishment in order to forgive us. He absorbed that offence. And that's why it's right. Only God can forgive sins, not the church, not the Pope, not any prophet, not anyone. Only God can forgive sins because sin, by definition, is an offence against God which is expressed in our offences against one another, but ultimately it's an offence against God. Sin is our greatest problem, and forgiveness is our greatest need. And as we read Luke's Gospel, if we read the biography written by this man, Luke will know that he lived and died his death, that he would die to serve. But that he didn't stay there, but rose back up to life again. You see, that's the scandal of Easter. A real scandal. Because Jesus died your death and my death, even though we didn't deserve it. Right? Justice is to give us what we deserve. Mercy is to give us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve this offer. That's scandalous. But have you had your biggest problem dealt with? Please note, in love, Jesus substituted himself instead of you and me to deal with our greatest problems. That's what this is about. Incredible, isn't it? Now, maybe that you've come here and you're not sure what to do because you're not sure whether this is true or not. You might have heard bits and pieces, but you're just really not sure. You want to talk to someone about that, then can I encourage you to read Luke's biography? with one of us. We've got a number of these copies here. And in fact, you can go through this very passage again. And as you work through this biography, there are particular passages of Scripture that we've highlighted that you can look at 
to uncover who Jesus is, to uncover who you are before Jesus, and to read it as an adult afresh. Very simple, easy thing to do, and you can do that with someone in our group. So please take up the opportunity if you'd like to do that. It may be that you just need to talk to someone because there is stuff in your heart, in your background, that you need to talk to someone about. Please talk to one of the staff or one of the friends that you're here with. We'd love to talk to you about that. But please know that ultimately it is Jesus who needs to forgive you. But it just may be that you know all this is true, but you haven't asked Jesus for forgiveness. You haven't asked God to forgive you. But you know it's true. You haven't treated God as God. You haven't treated Jesus as God. Well, you can do something about it right now. And if God in His sovereign mercy has just led you to this point because you've met with so many people to think about these things, or you've read the Bible by yourself for a little while, or you've even been coming to this group for a while pretending to be a Christian as it were, but knowing in the end, really, I don't live with Jesus as God of my life. <clears throat> sure, I've got a youth group and I've got a church, but I know He's really not number one of my life. That was my story. I went along to church for a year and a half or thereabouts. I went to this university group and I went to their meeting conference. But I knew at that conference that I wasn't living with Jesus as my God. That might be you. I don't know. If that's you, then please, please fess up to God. And you can do that right now. Right now. It's as good a time as any other time. Because I'm going to lead us in a prayer that you can pray with me. And let me read it out to you, and then what I can encourage you to do is to repeat the words in your own head in silence to God. And let me assure you that God will answer. Here's the prayer that I'm going to pray just in a moment. It says, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to deal with my greatest problem. Please forgive me for ignoring you as God and rebelling against you. And please help me to live as a forgiven person with Jesus as my Lord and my God. Amen, which simply means I meant it. Is that your prayer? Is that the kind of prayer that you think you ought to be praying, you should be praying? Well, if it is, can I encourage you to pray that right now? I'm just going to pray this prayer sentence by sentence. And all you need to do is echo it in your head and your heart to God in silence. And let me assure you, God will answer. Will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to deal with my greatest problem. Please forgive me for ignoring you as God and rebelling against you. Please help me to live as a forgiven person with Jesus as my Lord and my God.
Amen. Can I say that if you did pray that prayer and you did mean it, that God has an answer? The Bible says that God takes so much joy in seeing one sinner repent. The angels are celebrating in heaven now if you have actually prayed that prayer for the first time, that kind of prayer, perhaps for the first time in a long time. 